3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, listeners. You're listening to 855am on 3CR. And this morning, your presenters are Max and Carly. We're back. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> this is our first live show of the year. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's yeah. quite early. Really shocked me this morning. I was like, hello, there's the sunrise. <laughs> it's been <laughs> a while. Beautiful sunrise this morning, actually. It was. Mm. But, yeah, 2020. Yeah. I guess you have been hearing new content from us, um, but most of that's been pre-records up until now. So this is our first live show for the year, which we are very excited about. Mm, and we're all back in the studio as well. So it's Max, Carly, and also our producer, Rosie. Legendary Rosie. <laughs> and so Rosie will be um, doing some podcasts up today, yeah, just featuring some interviews that I had at Woodford and also the interviews that we had last week as well. Yeah. So if you've been, you know, chomping at the bit, trying to listen back to our shows from the past few weeks and you haven't been able to, you will be able to very shortly. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. we, we know that you listen to all of our back episodes. <laughs> Um, so what have we got into today, Max? Um, so this morning, um, first up, we're going to be chatting with Shana Bremner, who is the founder of End Rape on Campus. I'm going to be talking with her about the, I guess, the controversy that surrounded the awarding of an Order of Australia to Bertina Arndt. Um, but particularly what we're going to focus on with her is sort of, you know, how widespread um, the, the attitudes that Bettina Arndt is putting forwards around victim blaming, around minimisation of violence um, and men's rights activism. Mm-hmm. And then a bit later on the show, we're going to have Laniuk come in. Yeah, so Laniuk, I think she'll be dialling in, um, but she is going to be talking to us about the upcoming issue of Archer magazine that launches this Saturday. Um, she is actually on the cover of that magazine. If you've seen it, it just came out in the shops a few days ago, I think. Um, and so she's going to be talking with us about her article in that, um, as well as letting us know details of the launch. Great. And then we're going to be hearing from Sasha and Rebecca, who are from Trans Sisters United, and they're heading up to the Tiwi Islands next week. So they're going to yeah, come on the show and tell us a little bit more about that project. And last up, we're going to be talking with um, House of Devine, who, is, who are the first um, Vogue House in Melbourne. And I think there's going to be a whole bunch of them, Kiki and others, coming into the studio to talk with us about an event they're performing at tomorrow night um, at the Immigration Museum, um, and also just around their amazing work generally. Fantastic. So exciting. So (laughs) happy to be back. (laughs) Um, So we might just jump to a couple of announcements, and then we'll be back with some news headlines. Rumination. Resears, rooming house, and homeless persons issues program, featuring information on health and housing services, as well as live local guests, artists, and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12 p.m. on Thursday on 3CR 
855-AM. You're listening to Summer Programming on 3CR. To find out more about our summer specials, go to 3cr.org.au. Yalakut Willam Nagi, Australia's First Nations Festival, returns Saturday, February 1st with soulful live music and free family entertainment. Get your funk on to Emma Donovan and the Putbacks, plus Coloured Stone, Kian, the Struggling Kings, Kihu, and loads more music from the finest First Nations artists in Australia. Eat and browse your way through market stalls or get hands-on at the many workshops and activities on offer. Yalakut Willam Nagi proudly celebrates Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures across one day where everyone is welcome. Head to ywnf.com.au for details. City of Port Phillip and Yalakut Willam Nagi, 3CR supporters. You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 8.55am. Today on the 30th of January, our first live show back for the year. And up next, we have some news headlines for you. Kate Kelly wasn't able to call into the studio this morning, but she prepared some for us. And the good news is that she is going to be continuing to do news headlines for us this year, which we are very stoked about. So, here they are. First up, Prime Minister Scott Morrison has stuck to his guns on climate change in a keynote speech at the National Press Club on Wednesday. Rejecting calls for Australia to play its part in reducing global emissions, the PM said his government would evolve its climate change policies to adapt to the warmer climate. Quote, we know that Australia on its own cannot control the world's climate as Australia accounts for just 1.3% of global emissions, Morrison said. Morrison repeatedly said that Australia was already doing enough. The government's lack of climate policy has increasingly come under the spotlight in recent months as Australians watch in horror as the worst bushfire season on record rolls across the country. Recently, Dr Tim, Tom Beer, the scientist who first predicted our current bushfire crisis four decades ago, spoke publicly against the government's inaction. Calling for state and federal governments to work together, he said Australia needs an urgent plan to prepare for worsening fire seasons and to rapidly phase out the burning of coal, oil and gas. And now heading up to Queensland. Our religious groups in Queensland are pushing to keep LGBTIQ conversion therapy legal in the state after the Queensland government declared last year that it would outlaw the practice. In November, Queensland Health Minister Stephen Miles introduced legislation that would ban the highly destructive practice of conversion therapy. But conservative religious groups are gearing up to fight the criminalisation of the harmful practice, saying banning it is an affront to their freedoms. In submissions put to the Queensland Health Community's Disability Services and Domestic and Family Violence Prevention Committee, Christian groups have said that outlawing conversion therapy would stop counsellors and health professionals from being able to express their beliefs. Linking the bill to fascist Germany, the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia argued that we did away of government-made-me-do-it arguments at the Nürnberg trials. 
But in a much more sensible and actually thought out submission, the acknowledged, uh, well-documented dangers of the archaic practice, the Queensland Law Society highlighted the definition under the bill may be too broad and cover other aspects of psychology. They stressed that conversion therapy is a reprehensible practice, but said this needed to be looked at, and a public hearing and briefing will be held on February 7. And lastly, a prison guard at Australia's largest facility has been stood down after failing to provide dinner to a First Nations prisoner after putting him in an isolation cell. Ravenhall Correction Centre, which is a privately owned medium security facility on the outskirts of Melbourne, is operated by GEO Australia. The, per- the prisoner told the guard that he had not had dinner as he had been taken to the isolation cell, but did not receive a meal until the guard swapped two hours later. The prison officer has been stood down. In November last year, The Age reported that an internal review of forensic mental health services at Ravenhall showed chronic staff shortages, compromised patient care and chaotic leadership since it opened in 2017. GEO Australia operates four private prisons, including Ravenhall. On their website, which is weirdly filled with pictures of open fields and forests, GEO declare themselves as, quote, positively transforming lives and contributing to safer communities. The Andrews government announced last year that it would spend another $1.8 billion on prison upgrades, including a new maximum security prison north of Geelong. And that's all from in the news headlines from Kate Kelly this morning. Mm, thanks for that, Max. Um, really interesting kind of quote there at the end about the $1.8 billion being spent because I was reading a lot about this incident yesterday and, you know, the age were reporting mm. it and, um, and a lot of mainstream media reporting on it and they all included that, um, you know, little statistic at the end that the government's going to be spending more money on prisons and I think that we all have to be really conscious when we're talking about these individual acts of violence happening in prisons because all prisons are violent and if we focus a lot on all the atrocities happening inside, then, um, yeah, sometimes that will lead to the government then spending more money and making better prisons. Um, yeah, I think we just have to be really conscious of that. Absolutely. Yeah, which is not in any way to deny that, you know, the the horrific nature of incidents like this that do make no. it to the media, but that they are in no way exceptional. Mm. Um, and actually that this is par for the course um, of what the prison system has always been intended to do mm. to deprive people of their humanity. Mm. And it's not just this one incident. It's just every day in the prison, every day in the colony. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Um, maybe we should head to um, a track now. Absolutely. So first up, we're going to be playing for you Make Sense by Mac Ridge. Music to hustle, music 
music to grow muscle, music to let you know if ain't nobody else love you, this is food for thought in a reckless hood, we tryna do good, but keep coming up this short, don't wanna mention, or a beachside villa fancy, but for sure I don't wanna retire no pension, just keep my bank right, with homies that hang right, dedicated to making a difference, that's the same life that we live in, ever ready and willing, we be chilling, but these streets is unforgiving, then somehow we make a living, plucking stacks in the hood, ducking jacks in the hood, make it big for my beats and give it back to the hood. Government policy, daylight robbery, I keep it hip-hopping so there ain't nobody stopping me. Social change, out the ropes and chains that the oppressor gave, now we just do it our way. Yes, I'm all about that change. If it don't make dollars, then it don't make sense. Gotta get up in the game. I'm in it to win it, only difference, I ain't here to impress. Coming through, better make way. I'm ready to test, shit, don't expect nothing less. And we all gon' rise the same. One M.O.B. In a concrete paradise full of brick mansions Housing commission where they ain't giving no chances Rough and tough, lifestyle raw Either brainiac, making stacks or playing football That's three ways, you can make it off of the back I was never good at school, so the hell with all that Playing footy got me so far to my ankle crack Now I apply my street knowledge to this music and rap I got dope products, consider it narcotics Homegrown flow, yo, I'm spitting that chronic Chopping up the slow, got you hooked like hypnotic Making do with what I got, yo, I keep it hip-hopping Get something out of nothing while these rich kids bluffing We living this shit for real, we stay busting Two barriers, ain't nobody here to even carry us Caught up in barriers, situations so precarious I'm all about that change If it don't make dollars, then it don't make sense we Gotta get up in the game I'm in it to win it, only difference, I ain't here to impress Coming through better Step one, recognize yourself worth. I know it's hard cause you're surrounded by bitumen and dirt. Think of every comment made, think of how it made you hurt. Just study knowledge yourself and prepare to put in work. Step two is now you. You got purpose in life. Realize every dark night has a day to come bright. You with the fight. You gotta know wrong from right. Or pick the right time to do the wrong thing. Alright. And step three is not knowing if we'll ever be free. Not knowing if we'll ever afford the luxuries. But that's the beauty of the struggle, ugliness, and the success. You gotta sacrifice for the generation next i keep it selfless not selfish caught up in a lonely abyss the shit i do no one else knowing this and step four better find something to fight for and when you get knocked down just keep your head up come back for more yes, I'm all about that change. if it don't make dollars then it don't make sense you gotta get up in the game i'm in it to win it only difference i ain't here to impress coming through better make way i'm ready to test shit don't expect nothing less and we all gonna rise the same You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am, and that track just then was Make Sense by Mac Ridge. And now we're joined on the line by Shana Bremner, who is founder of End Rape on Campus. Good morning, Shana. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. So we've asked you to speak with us this morning about everything that has been going down with Bettina Arndt being awarded the an Order of Australia um, on Invasion Day the other day. Could you give us a bit of an overview about what's been happening? So we saw that Bettina was awarded the Order of Australia on Invasion Day, as you said, and the public reaction to that has been one of anger. Um, when I heard the news, I felt sick. 
Bettina has spent the better part of the last few years absolutely denying an epidemic of violence against women in this country. She's cashed in on mocking sexual assault survivors for the last few years and attending university campuses to deny that students are sexually assaulted and harassed. So to see her receive one of the country's highest honours was sickening. And who actually is Bettina Arndt and why... Why does she like? Why do they say that they've given her this award? Bettina Arndt was, is I suppose, um, or claims to be a sex therapist um, for many, many years, almost thirty-five years actually. She's been introduced by the media, via members of federal parliament, um, and various other folks as a clinical psychologist. And it recently emerged that Bettina doesn't actually have any psychology qualifications and never has. She has never practiced as a psychologist. She has never been registered as one. But she received an award based off of the idea that those are her qualifications and her award was given to her for her services to gender equity and her fight for men's rights. And what have been some of the responses from um, both survivors, from anti-violence advocates and others? The survivors that we have worked with have been absolutely gutted. Um, To see her receive an award like this doesn't just legitimise her views and lend some sort of credibility to them. They're actually a tacit endorsement of them, and that's horrifying. The message that was sent to survivors over the weekend is that the Honours Committee and, in turn, the Governor-General and the government don't believe survivors. Absolutely. And, you know, I sort of, I don't really want to give heaps of airtime to all the many, um, horrific sort of things that she sort of specifically said. But can we just talk about what are some of the, the myths around sexual assault that, um, Bettina Arndt has been, I guess, like perpetuating, um, throughout her career? She has spent a lot of time focusing on false reporting, which the best research in the world tells us is a very, very small number of reports of sexual violence, usually between 2 and 8%. She has also claimed that women are to blame for their assaults. I think most recently a lot of people would have heard that she did an interview where she defended and laughed and joked with a 59-year-old teacher who had been convicted and jailed for raping his 15-year-old student repeatedly. And Bettina's response to him was that she could see how something like that would happen and that teenage girls are often in a position where they are provocative and targeting their teachers with this sort of behaviour. And so, Shana, do you feel like um, the views that Bettina Arndt is putting forward or has been putting forward for many years now, are they... Uncommon? Are they exceptional? Are they, you know, simply an extreme manifestation of views that are actually really common? I would say they are. There's actually, you know, you just take a a moment to look through her social media comments from her followers and her supporters and to realise just how many people share those views is a terrifying thing. Mm. And um, one of the sort of... Uh, 
I believe like the events that she was involved in um, that was mentioned in the sort of the announcement of giving her the award was what has been dubbed the fake rape crisis uh, campus tour, um, which she was doing in 2018. And I know End Rape on Campus was involved in um, advocating against that, that tour that she was doing. Can you let us know a little bit more about that? The team has spent some time heading to different university campuses to give lectures, um, basically claiming that sexual assault and harassment does not happen at the levels that the Australian Human Rights Commission found within our university communities. And whilst our organisation is obviously very much in favour of free speech, we're not in favour of speech that's incorrect and that causes harm to people. And what Bettina was doing was going to these campuses and claiming that sexual assault and harassment doesn't happen, that our university campuses are safe. And that's clearly not the case. And we found that in the Australian Human Rights Commission, um, which did find that 1.6% of the sexual assaults that students were experiencing were taking place within a university setting. And while that number sounds quite small, when you think about the fact that there's 1.4 million students studying at our universities, that actually equates to 30 sexual assaults happening within university settings per day every day. To have her then go onto campuses and say that that's not happening and to have universities allow her to do that is honestly staggering. Mm. Absolutely. And what what some of the work that um, Endrape on campus has been doing to... Yeah, I guess like to, to push back against, against that tour and also just to support survivors on campus more broadly. We did contact a number of universities along with other student organisations and actually put the evidence to them and remind them of the importance of academic integrity in the same way that they remind students about that on a very regular basis and just suggest to them that perhaps allowing someone who isn't backing up their claims with evidence might not be the best idea for a university. But more than that, I think we've spent a lot of our time doing what we do best, and that is supporting the students that need our help. Um, what sort of support is Endrape on campus able to provide for students who experience sexual assault in their university settings? We work with students around the country who have experienced sexual assault. Help them out with whatever we need. Um, the members of our organisation have a lot of experience working within universities and so we can help students to do things like navigate those really complex complaints processes that universities have. We can assist them to get special considerations so that maybe they can have their tutorial class changed so they don't have to sit in the same room as the person who assaulted them. Or maybe they just need those extra times on assignments or exams because PTSD is something that now impacts their studies. So any kind of practical assistance that we can provide is something that we will work with students to do. And when their universities don't respond adequately to their complaints, we can assist them to file complaints with the university regulator because universities are bound by legislation to keep their students safe and to respond to complaints in an adequate manner. And when they don't, students are able to file a complaint about them. How effective do you find, or do other students find, that complaint process to be? Within the university, not terribly effective. Um, the complaints process are difficult. They are incredibly drawn out, protracted processes. You know, sometimes you might be looking at a month for it to be resolved. We've had cases go up to two years where the university investigation has just dragged out and dragged out. Um, they are very complicated. 
they don't often have very clear guidance available on what that process will look like. And far too many universities are still trying to tell students that they can't find out the outcome of their complaints. You're on Thursday Thursday Breakfast. Our guest is Shana Bremner, uh, founder of Endrape on Campus. Um, and Shana, just to loop back to um, speaking about Bettina Arndt, um, one thing that I was I was thinking about is, you know, when you mentioned before um, her support for the um, convic- convicted pedophile Nicholas Bester, and one thing that she sort of came out and said after there was, you know, hugely critical responses um, to that interview she did with him was that uh, people, she was concerned about the quote-unquote vigilante justice that people were sort of attacking her with. Um, and in light of what you were just saying about the ineffectiveness of, of complaints processes on campus, I was thinking about how, you know, what gets framed as vigilante justice is essentially just a recognition that these systems of of complaint, of support, these institutions don't actually generally really help survivors at all, whether that's the university, whether that's the police, whether that's the courts. Um, and so what Bettina Arndt has sort of... Uh, framed as being like people attacking her or trying to take justice in her own hands seems to me more just a recognition of the fact that actually these institutions just continue to harm survivors and that we as communities need to actually be doing that support work and that accountability ourselves. Absolutely. And when Bettina talks about things like vigilante justice, she's referring to the fact that the University of Tasmania actually prevented Nicholas Bester from attending the campus that he was at down in Hobart and that was actually done through proper processes. That was done through a complaints process with the university. Um, It was the university's decision using their own policies and processes. Students have a code of conduct they are supposed to follow. He did not follow that code of conduct. So when she's claiming that there's some kind of vigilante justice, that's what she's referring to. Um, And those processes are things that students will use because we know that the so-called criminal justice system doesn't actually always include a lot of justice for sexual assault survivors. Mm, absolutely. Um, and overnight we've also seen the Victorian Attorney-General, Jill Hennessy, come out and uh, join join the calls for that uh, Order of Australia to be removed um, for Bettina Arndt. I was wondering, Shana, what would you like to see happen from here in terms of next steps? I'd very much like to see somebody from the Honours Committee give their biggest and best apology to sexual assault survivors across the country, not just university students, but child sex abuse survivors, domestic abuse survivors, because what they have done is endorse Bettina's views. They've created harm. They've re-traumatised countless people. She's not deserving of the award. She was given it for her work into gender equity and... Bettina hasn't actually done anything for men. There are far more people around the country doing the work on things like high rates of male, sex, uh, male suicide. Bettina doesn't do that. Bettina spends her days being an anti-feminist, anti-women activist. And I think men do have issues that we need to address, and there are people better placed to do it, and there are people that are doing far more than Bettina is. So I don't think she's deserving of the award. I'm very, very grateful to Jill Hennessy for making that call. And I think that Australia deserves an apology. And I feel like that is such an important um, 
sort of like a reframing of the debate to make to flip it from just being focused on Bettina Arndt herself because I feel like a lot of folks, you know, if you look her up online, you, you know, you will understandably and rightly be like shocked and outraged at the things that she's said. But what is almost more crucial here is to look at how in giving her this award that that committee who was meant to be representative of, you know, quote unquote Australians more broadly have as you said, endorsed her views um, and sort of said, yep, you know, we, we support and we agree with these things that she is putting forwards into the world, which is just, you know, such a blatant indication of how widespread, um, you know, yep, victim blaming and the minimisation of the experiences of survivors of sexual assault and family violence are um, in so-called Australia. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, to find out that the former Sex Discrimination Commission Commissioner Liz Broderick actually sits on that committee was kind of like taking a punch to the gut. If if someone like Liz Broderick is willing to award this kind of thing to someone like Bettina, there's not a lot of hope for gender equity in this country. And, you know, we do see these problems that men do encounter. Bettina's not addressing them. She's not doing the work. But the committee then has just endorsed her anti-feminist victim-blaming comments. And, yeah, the whole thing is just mind-blowing. And for listeners who feel similarly mind-blown and outraged, um, what can folks do to, uh, to support End Rape on campus and get involved? One of the best things you can do is follow us on social media, um, share the things that we talk about, and... In a broader scale, one of the best things you can do is just believe survivors. It costs you nothing to do that, um, but it can mean the world and it can mean the, the difference in somebody's recovery and getting their life back on track, just believing survivors. Thank you so much, Shana Bremner, for joining us this morning. Thanks very much. You're on 3CR. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Our guest has been Shana Bremner from Endrape on Campus, um, who's talking about the awarding of uh, Order of Australia to Bettina Arndt and all the very necessary pushback against that. CR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55 a.m. And up next, we're going to be listening to Don't Let a Good Girl Down by Thelma Plum. It's kind of icky the depths that you go to bring a good girl, to bring a good girl down. Just cause you're icky, don't 
3CR Thursday breakfast and that was Don't Let a Good Girl Down by Thelma Plum. Up next we're going to hear an interview with Auntie Hazel Collins, founder of Grandmothers Against Removals. The interview was conducted in 2018 by Tegan Hughes for the Central Australian Aboriginal Media Association. Auntie Hazel Collins begins by talking about the removal of her own grandmother. And she, her and her sister, who was a lot darker than her, were removed and put in Cootamundra. And they weren't there for years. They did escape. But, like, some of the things my grandmother used to say um, about how they were treated in there. And then I became a grandmother of children removed. And it's not how these so-called good doers portray what actually happened and why. So let's let's talk a little bit about yeah right now what what is the state of affairs looking like for Aboriginal children in out-of-home care how how prevalent actually is this? It's very very widespread that children being placed in out-of-home care um the damage that is done to these children by having them removed to start with and the way that removal occurs, 
where they're placed, dispossession of family members. No family member is suitable to have these children. They're put in out-of-home care with whoever the department deems fit. Um, it, it is a myth that they're, they're placed with family because we're nine times out of ten deemed unfit. The trauma of the removal alone is lifelong, not only for the child but for the family and communities. When they're put in out-of-home care, quite often they're abused. The department does nothing about it, despite the calls from families and parents showing concern. And these children are given an 18-year sentence for doing nothing wrong. In a lot of cases, the parents have done nothing wrong. Now, we're not, we're not, nor ever have said that at no time is it necessary to remove a child. We've never, ever said that. We've always acknowledged that there are times when the family is in crisis. But in saying that, that doesn't mean that they have to be removed and put in out-of-home care. They can be placed within their own community. I think that's one of the strongest points about your movement and the fact that it's grandmothers against removals. When people think about the relationship that gets severed, they think of the mother and the child bond. But it's actually so much more than that. Grandparents lose their grandchildren. Aunties lose their nephews and nieces. You know, the pain is felt throughout a family and a community, not just that that singular relationship. That's right. Like, the, um, here in New South, the, the department is called Family and Community Services. Um, I find that laughable in the sense that they do not assist families or communities. They have a process that they have to go through prior to any removal. They bypass that process altogether. The first response is the removal. And often that is a Friday afternoon. Several police are present as well as several docks workers. Now, they do that because there's no way in the world a family can initiate legal activity until the Monday. So that leaves the families and communities in a distressful situation for an entire weekend not knowing where their babies have gone or who they're with. They don't put them straight away with Aboriginal families, if they do at all. And nine times out of ten put them with non-Aboriginal families. There is a sibling policy within a department that they keep siblings together. That also doesn't occur. And I find the whole process of having to be assessed by a department that fails and indulges in criminal activity, um, I find it offensive that we have to be assessed under their regime because... The whole system is flawed and it fails. So therefore, they can determine whether we pass that assessment as family members or we don't. We, we have no comeback if they say, no, you failed. The only reason, like I have no illusions as to why my grandchildren were given to me. Um, the only reason they were given to me was because of my involvement with Grandmothers Against Removals.
not because they felt it was the right thing to do. I guess we should talk a little bit about the history of Grandmothers Against Removals, and you've already mentioned there's more than one of your grandchildren that had been taken into out-of-home custody. Can you tell us a little bit of that backstory and then how you came to form Grandmothers Against Removals? In January 2014, my last little grandchild was taken from his mum. He was 15 months old. At that removal, I was present. Um, She already had three other children removed and placed in out-of-home care. At that removal, there were eight, nine police and four docks workers to remove a 15-month-old baby. It was extremely traumatic. And just something snapped inside of me and... I promised my daughter that we would get him back. So I made some phone calls and that was the day that Grandmothers Against Removals started. We had our first rally on the 13th of February 2014 to expose the criminal activities of a department that has failed our people since invasion. And since that time, I'm very proud to say that a lot of people have stood up. Like my daughter, we, we knew there were other people out there that had their children removed by by docs. But there, there was a certain amount of shame attached that people look at you and, oh, you know, you must have done something wrong. You must have deserved to have your children taken. We didn't realise the statistics of how many children... Now, with shame, we don't own the shame. The department does. They are the ones that are failing our people. We're angry at what's happening and what still goes on. Even as we speak today, somewhere out there, there's a little baby. And I'll say baby, regardless of age, um, will be taken by a department all under the guise of child protection. I'm very proud to say that I've met some wonderful, strong people that didn't feel that they could do this, that they could stand up and say, this is, I'm affected by this. To me, the department is a disease that needs to be eradicated. And we, as First Nation people, there's not one of us that somewhere in our history have not been touched and tainted by this department. So we have to stand up as one, not as individuals, and give our babies out there a voice and show them that we are out there fighting for them. We haven't abandoned them. We love them. We want them. They need to be back where they belong so that they can grow up not being ashamed of who they are, but walk beside us as strong Aboriginal adults and proud of who and where they come from. It's upsetting, but things need to be said. 
And that was an interview conducted in 2018 by Tegan Hughes from Karma. And she interviewed Auntie Hazel Collins, who's one of the founders of Grandmothers Against Removals. And we really wanted to play this interview uh, this morning because of the Pay the Rent initiative. So, you know, um, it's just, yeah... I mean, on Invasion Day, um, warriors of the Aboriginal resistance were asking people to be paying the rent. And there's a number of organisations that they're asking settlers to pay the rent to. And so I'm just going to list out those groups now and we'll post up um, the poster that warriors of the Aboriginal resistance um, also were sharing on Invasion Day. But it's really important that we keep these groups in mind just throughout the entire year. And it's... You know, we don't just pay the rent on Invasion Day. You've got to pay the rent every day. So um, you can pay the rent to the Victorian Aboriginal Funeral Fund, um, Grandmothers Against Removals, uh, the Wangan Jangalingu Traditional Owners Aboriginal Corporation, who are still fighting the Adani Kamako coal mine, um, and then also Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance as well. Um, there's also a couple of GoFundMes. So there's the South Coast Bushfire Relief and Recovery Service and Justice for Yundamu, the inquiry on the police shooting. And, yeah, those details will be up on our Instagram page, 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Tune in to Billabong Beats Tuesdays at 11am with me, Gavin Moore giving a voice to both Western Kulin and Kulin First Nations peoples. Join me to talk about philosophy and dreamtime stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. Billabong Beats, 11am Tuesdays on 3CR. Yalakut Wellamnagi, Australia's First Nations Festival, returns Saturday, February 1st with soulful live music and free family entertainment. Get your funk on to Emma Donovan and the Putbacks, plus Coloured Stone, Kian, The Struggling Kings. Kihu and loads more music from the finest First Nations artists in Australia. Eat and browse your way through market stalls or get hands-on at the many workshops and activities on offer. Yalakut Willamnagi proudly celebrates Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures across one day where everyone is welcome. Head to ywnf.com.au for details. City of Port Phillip and Yalakut Willamnagi, 3CR supporters. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. 
It's good to be here with us, uh, Aboriginal Radio, and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 8.55am. It's 10 to 8 now on the 30th of January. And up next, we have the great fortune to be chatting with Laniuk. Good morning, Laniuk. Morning. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us bright and early this morning. Thanks for having me. First up, would you be able to just introduce yourself for listeners? Um, so my name is Lani Hook. I write, I currently write poetry and short memoir. I do some performance um, with that poetry as well. Do some public readings. I run workshops. Um, but eventually, and hopefully sooner rather than later, I want to move on to writing speculative fiction and sci-fi. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> and you are a writer in and also the cover girl of um, <laughs> the upcoming issue of Archer, the First Nations edition of Archer. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's, just, it's, very, it's a lot. It's hectic. I went past Hayes and Hyunas yesterday, and um, they had some copies in the front, the front window, and it was just so wild to see my face. <laughs> On a magazine cover, it's a lot. Um, so it's really exciting, and you know, it's such a it's such a privilege as well, not just to be, you know, the cover of a queer magazine or the cover of an international queer magazine, but to be the cover of like a queer magazine that is specifically, you know, the Indigenous edition that was edited by Maddie Clark and Bridget Caldwell. Like, it's such a massive privilege. So feeling pretty stoked, pretty happy. Um, and for listeners who didn't get a chance to listen to um, 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, they actually had a chat with Bridget Caldwell um, on Tuesday mm. this week. So you can listen back to that to hear a bit more about Archer magazine. Um, but, Lania, can we talk a bit about your article in, in Archer? What, what's, yeah, what, what did you end up writing about? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I actually um, wrote three different versions of this article because the first one I, I wanted to talk about queer kinship and the unique way I think that um, queer people relate to one another and create family outside of the nuclear um, biological structure. And so I wrote my, my first um, my first edit was just like hyper academic and I was trying to cram so much into 3,000 words I was boring myself I was reading it back to people being like oh my gosh this is so boring so I scrapped that one my second one 
um, I was sort of reflecting a lot on my relationship with my biological family and it was just way too vulnerable and intimate for such a broad audience. Um, I, I, I'm glad I got those words and those feelings out onto a piece of paper, but I had some pretty good advice that perhaps it wasn't best, you know, for public eyes. So I scrapped that. Um, and so I wrote a third one. Like, these are completed works, you know. So now I've written 6,000 words <laughs> for a 3,000-word piece. Um, so I wrote a third one. So 9,000 words in total, and this is the one that I was most happy with. It was, I think, the the, the balance that I was looking for between reflection um, and emotion while also giving myself, like, sort of space for 3,000 words, 3,000 words isn't actually a lot. You know, we could write volumes of work on how queers relate to one another, and I was just expecting way too much of myself. Um, so I think I've been generous and gentle um, and written about, I suppose, the ways that my queer family have really come through for me. Um, I think to... You know, don't you remember that saying? People always used to be like, oh, you know, God gave us friends to say sorry <laughs> for our family. Do you ever hear that? No, I don't think I do. But... You've never heard that? Oh, you know, <laughs> you go to, like, the news agency and there's some, like, cheesy thing that you can hang up on your wall that's like, God gave us friends to say sorry for our family. Yeah, I yeah. feel like God gave us queers to say sorry for our family. <laughs> you know? So I'm pretty I'm pretty thankful. It's, it's essentially about queer kinship and mm-hmm. my experience with it. Yeah. And what for you is like yeah the significance of being um, included in the First Nations edition of Archer? Oh my gosh, what is it for me? I I don't know. I think it's a lot of things. I think I think it's being seen. It's really not. Um, it's a, it's an interesting intersection because. In some spaces, one identity can override the other, you know, and you can either be the queer or you can be, you know, the Indigenous person. Um, and it's, there's a lot of bigotry and a lot of hatred and a lot of violence that comes with both of those titles. Um, to be, to have my words held by such an incredible team and such incredible editors um, and to to have those words read by other queer people and by other Indigenous people, by, yeah, in a magazine that really, I guess, captures that intersection and the diversity of that intersection. It's, it's I don't know, it's, it's mind-blowing <laughs> for me. Um, I never really thought that I would get to this point in my writing where I'd be writing for magazines. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a real honour, yeah. Mm. And... For you personally, what do you have coming up or on the cards? Well, we have the launch, um, which True. is Tell a testing that. ground, testing ground um, on the first of Feb, three pm till seven pm. Tickets are available online, um, and there's sliding scale. So if you're not in a position to be able to afford a ticket, I'm, I'm quite certain that you won't have to. Um, and it's, you know what? I think it's just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in party mode. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm also gonna be doing a reading with some new poetry, um, that's yet to be published and just having a good time. There's gonna be some other performances. I know that Indian Money's gonna be performing. Um, 
Yeah, it's going to be a good time. People, sh- Everyone should come. It's going to be great. Definitely. That's this Saturday at mm-hmm. 3pm, yeah? Yes, yeah. 3 till 7 at Testing Grounds in the City, which is behind the Art Centre. I don't really know how to describe it. It's a pretty interesting location. And just to yeah, wrap up, is there anything else, I guess, coming up in the near future that you're excited about or working towards, either in your own work or other folks' work? Um, well, I mean, I've recently signed a contract with Magabala Books, which so I'll be um, working on publishing a collection of uh, poetry and short memoir. But weirdly, I'm also doing a coding intensive, you know. So, just casually. Um, that'll be... So that's going to take about four months. They're going to be cramming essentially like three or four years of study into a four-month program, and I'll come out a qualified web and app developer. And I'm ready just to create some radical technology to organize the people and get us mobilized. So keep an ear out. Incredible. Well, we would love to have you back on the show um, in the next couple of months to talk about you know, coding and Indigenous sovereign spaces online. Uh-huh. And, you know, then later in the year when you've got that book coming out with Magabala, so we'll be in touch. Excellent. Can't wait. I'll speak to you then. And everyone, jump on down to Testing Grounds this Saturday from 3pm for the launch of the First Nations issue of Archer magazine, which Lanyuk is featured in and on the cover of. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Lanyuk. Thank you. We've been here since the beginning, descended from sacred obligations. We still stand by those. As we dream in the now Born into it, a slow wind, slippery check, history, man, it's been no mystery, stolen, removed, dead, vision, as liberties, place, power, before, understanding, and humility, armed with artillery, hostilities, prey to point to the cases, and realizing it, the wrong, greatest songs, with that, rise, celebrating, strong, calibrating, eminent, and secret, ancient, don't deal, in the lands, wisdom, we do belong, these words are seeds that these can never take from, our mother's womb, prison, always beyond, apocalypse, is wrong, so don't extinction, Roman restriction, trapped in Mason, the colonial system, assimilation, prescription, spirit never trapped, we always hear, glisten, ancestors, wisdom, forevermore, given, yo. Yes, we would always survive. No matter what they do, no, we never gonna die. Yes, we would always survive. 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 No matter what they do, no, we never gonna die. Yes, we would always survive. Yes, we would always survive. 
There was nothing but black, there was magic manifested in stacks To the gun barrel, tried to bring on genocidal collapse But now, 200 plus seconds of elapsed Conquest didn't work, caught up in a new tracks Packed with a pain of generations impact Put it back to this constant hideous attack But yet we stand strong, in spite of all of that Quicksand, snakes, and spiders, yes, those are barbarian Mother brother, time's true, my shirt's colliding The richer we got up to the standard, that's how lights Salam, shots, and sovereign, creators, plus vibrant So that the color through the violence, you're violence You're family, and you was a black or bronze It's a black or bronze Yeah, we always survive here Yes, we will always survive. No matter what they do, then we never gon' die. Yes, we will always survive. 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 No matter what they do, then we never gon' die. Yes, we will always survive. Yes, we will always survive. And that track was Survived by Dreaming Now with Beats by Riverboy. And next up, we're going to be speaking with Sasha Sidek and Rebecca Loveday from Trans Sisters United. Trans Sisters United is a Melbourne-based community group that creates projects that benefit the transgender community through advocacy, awareness and community collaboration. And this group is travelling to the Tiwi Islands next week and they join us on the show to tell us more about this project. Welcome, Sasha and Rebecca. Morning. Good morning. <laughs> Could you first off um, start by introducing yourselves individually and then also talk about the collective as a whole? All right, so um, I'm Sasha Sidek. I'm one of the co-founders of Transistors United, and this is my colleague, <laughs> business partner. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Rebecca Loveday, so I'm the other co-founder of Transistors United, and we started Transistors United about a year and a half ago. So we um, actually went to um, a film festival. And at the film festival, we were watching some of the documentaries and they were on um, the sister girls of the TV Islands. And we thought that as trans women ourselves, that we wanted to recognise our own privileges and do something within the community to support others um, from gender diverse communities um, to help support them. It's the sisterhood thing. Um, and what is the sum of the work that you've already done okay so um um the seaweed is uh the seaweed island and then in march we're doing the transplant march melbourne for the this will be the first one um in melbourne it'll be held in on the 29th of march Yeah, so the um, Trans Pride March um, that we're doing, that we're currently working on alongside um, a community activist, Miss Catalina. Um, she's the founder of um, the Trans Pride March Melbourne, and it's never been done before here. We've had lots of different Pride Marches, but there's never been one specifically for the trans community here uh, in Melbourne. So that's one big thing that we're currently working on. It's going to be in line with Transgender Day of Visibility, which is on March 31st. And the project we're doing with the Sister Girls in the TV Islands, uh, that is happening next week on Wednesday. So we're going up there for um, up until Monday in the following week and we'll be going to um, the main island, which is Bathurst Island, and we'll be working alongside the Sister Girls there. Great. What work will we be doing up there? Uh, so we originally wanted to just do things that would be fun for them and to also share, I guess, our experiences as trans women with them. I think for a lot of people, they don't realise that for um, the First Nations community, the sister girls and the brother boys, that 
um, being a cis girl isn't the same as being transgender. So people often get that. Um, they think it's the same thing, but, mm-hmm. but, but it's very different. So culturally, um, a sister girl and brother boy is completely different to someone that identifies as being transgender, even though we're um, all kind of on the gender variance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so what we're actually doing with them is we are going to be hosting um, a yarning circle and barbecue. So that at that time, we're going to be um, sharing our experiences and what it's been like for us as um, trans women. And then also talking to them about what their their experiences is like as sister girls. Um, we're going to be giving them gift packs that we've been donated. Um, photo shoot. We're doing a photo shoot as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the photographer. Yeah. Sasha's the photographer. Uh huh. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and I know that you have a GoFundMe up as well to raise money for this trip. Yes. Yes, that's true. Um, we tried our best to raise funds and apply for grants, and we've been rejected, maybe because we've not really established um, um, group yet, a community group yet. So um, we fell on, on that part. So the last resort, I thought we have to go through both on page, and we did pretty well um, so far. Um, we raised about $1,000, and that $1,000 um, will go to the food in the food interior islands and accommodation there. Um, so yeah, but we 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 posting um, a video shortly um, to thank everyone that is, that has contributed um, to to our GoFundMe page. And we're being really mindful as well that with the money that we have raised through GoFundMe, that we want to really kind of make sure we just put that in towards the Tiwi Islands. So mm-hmm. we're not using that money towards, I guess, flights and things like that to larger organisations. We really want to make sure that the money we did raise. And goes directly to the community. Yeah, absolutely. And what outcomes are you hoping to achieve after you've visited the Tiwi Islands? Well, the sister girls and the brother boys in the Tiwi Islands—they're quite isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a lot of access to um, medical treatments, such as hormone replacement therapy, um, to information. A lot of the sister girls there—they don't have um, access to internet or smartphones. Mm-hmm. So even with things like, I guess, like online portals where they could access information, they actually don't have the, um, I guess, the means to be able to do that. So we want to make sure that we have a continual connection with them so they can have access to those things um, and have a continued established relationship with them because they have had, I guess, some attention in the past um, with documentaries and things like that. Um, but from what they've explained to us previously is that they have the documentaries made and then there's no kind of really follow-up to support them afterwards. So our main kind of focus is obviously to build a connection with them and to support them, but to make sure that that um, support is continued after our trip up there. Mm. And we also found out when we were there last year to meet up with the sister girls, we just found out that we're the first transgender woman who reached out to them, which is really surprising for us. Yeah. It's just, mm. yeah, such a great um, initiative that you've taken on to create Trans Sisters United um, because, yeah, there aren't enough resources, I think, put into actually connecting groups across this continent um, and also in just like the Pacific region as well. Yeah, and I think one thing I've kind of really noticed as well is that there are a lot of, I guess, organisations and community groups to specific groups of people, but they're often state-based as well, so they're not often... Um, that they don't often go interstate um, or international. So the sister girls up in the TV islands, they're quite isolated. And even though they um, collaborate with communities in Darwin, outside of that, there's not much more. There's only one 
specific medical clinic in yeah. Darwin that caters to um, people from the LGBTIQA plus community. Uh, and so for the sister girls, that entails that they would have to get a two and a half hour ferry there, two and a half hour ferry back. They do have a medical centre on the island, but um, that's only on specific days that yeah. the girls can access that. And that's for things um, for making sure that um, they're healthy, um, they're able to get um, tests for HIV yeah. um, and things like that. So um, it's really important that we think that there's, there's a continual connection from the broader mainland of Australia to um, places like the Tiwi Islands. Mm. Yeah, just such a great initiative. Um, and I'm just going to go back to the GoFundMe because, yeah, like how can people support this project? Um, the GoFundMe page is still, um, is still on, I guess. Um, we can, people can still donate to, to our page. Yeah. Um, it's actually, um, you can get the link through our Facebook page on Transistors United. Um, we, we still don't know whether we should still get the funds or we we still haven't decided whether to keep going with with the funds or maybe we just close it soon. Um, no, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think we we discuss that like with any additional money because we want to make sure that we put all the money back into the community. And so, um, as we're already um, planning things and booking things with any yeah. additional money that's left over, we're going to donate that money towards um, uh, businesses in there called Tiwi Design. So Tiwi Design. Yeah host um, a lot of employment for the sister girls there because um, that's where there's a lot of tourists and that's where the sister girls can have access. There's actually quite a lot of the sister girls that we've already met with that are working yeah. at Tiwi Design and they're supported by um, a wonderful woman named um, Di, Di Davies. Di Davies, yeah. Di Davies. And she is the one that's um, helping to support the sister girls. So they've been really, really amazing alongside um, the Northern Ter- Territory AIDS and Hepatitis Council in Darwin. So we really want to make sure that if we do raise any additional money yeah. that, that's outside of the initial things we have to pay for, that we want to donate that money to the actual um, companies and organisations and the sister girls that have helped us along the way. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Um, and what else is on the horizon for Trans Sisters United? <laughs> What's happening later on in the year? <laughs> oh my god, this is pretty massive for us for our first project, and we've been so busy since um, coming back from the holidays, like nonstop. Um, yeah, I think um, as we said earlier, we wanna build the relationship with the sister girls, an ongoing relationship. So um, yeah, so but we, we don't have any um, plans yet. Maybe after this. People will approach us. We don't know. We mm. need to get. Through, we need to get through the, the Trans Pride March and, yeah. and the trip to the Tiwi Islands yeah. first. <laughs> and once those two projects are complete, then we'll regroup and we'll see what what our next goal is going to be. But yeah, I think because we are a small um, community organisation, and we think it's really important to collaborate with other organisations as well. So wish okay. our people listening yes. that would like to collaborate with us and utilise our skills and beauty. <laughs> <laughs> They're more than welcome to get in touch with us because we're um, we're really open to collaboration with other people as well. Fantastic. So how can listeners um, follow you on social media? Yeah, so they can go to um, our Facebook page, which is um, Facebook slash Trans Sisters United, or they can also um, look up us on Instagram, which is trans.sisters.united. So they're the, um, our two social media platforms that they can uh, yeah follow us on and get in touch. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Sasha and Rebecca, for joining us here on 3CR. Enjoy your breakfast. Bye, Bye.
Musicians Film Festival returns to Cinema Nova this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about what it means to be human. Featuring local and international documentaries, the festival covers social and technological innovations, big ideas and change-makers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, resilience, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, February 20 to March 6 at Cinema Nova and venues across Melbourne. Head to transitionsfilmfestival.com for details. A 3CR supporter. The Setting Sun Film Festival in Melbourne's West is calling for entries until 31st of January. Enter your short or feature film into our international festival with the cult following and see your film screen at Yarraville's Art Deco Sun Theatre in May. The festival runs for seven days and features a culturally diverse program that includes Australia's first female filmmakers program and a wide range of categories and genres. Lots of prizes to win. All details on our website settingsun.com.au The Setting Sun Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. And just before those community service announcements, we were talking with Sasha and Rebecca from Trans Sisters United and definitely um, donate to their GoFundMe so that they can travel up to the Tiwi Islands next week. And now we're going to be playing a track um, that's actually um, mixed by a local artist, um, Choir Neil, and this one is Key Dash, Queen of the Shit, um, with various asses remix. Here it is.
track is by local artist Kerr Neal, Kidash, Queen of This Shit Remix. And now joined in the studio, we have Carlos, Kiki, Jada and Crystal from House of Divine. Welcome all. (laughs) (laughs) So can you first off um, start by telling listeners who is House of Divine? So House of Divine is the pioneering house of Melbourne at the moment. Um, if you're familiar with Ballroom, a house is more of a family and also like an arts collective where we go into balls and compete with dance, fashion, and whatever category there is there. Work. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> and can you tell us a little bit about the history of voguing and ballroom? Yeah. Um, Ballroom started technically in the 1920s when um, queer men would be doing drag and performing it in a pageant format, but it was very Eurocentric at the time, and a lot of black and Latinx individuals wouldn't feel comfortable lightening their face because that was the beauty standard at the time, so they felt marginalized in that sense, and they left and created their own ballroom scene, which is now what we we know, Um, especially if you're familiar with... Paris is Burning, that's, that's ballroom. Um, yeah, and it involves a lot of voguing, a lot of runway walks, and dressing up, and yeah. Mm. And I feel like there's been a really huge resurgence of ballroom and vogue at the moment, and I think that House of Divine has been a huge part of that, and especially down here in Kulin Nations. Can you tell us a bit about um, where you've been performing and the work that you've done recently? And I want to take that. All right. Um, (laughs) Kiki on the mic. We've been performing in a lot of the queer spaces. um, And we've also held our own ball last year in November and hoping to make another one. But most of the time we're in public space, voguing our asses off everywhere. Um, Just training and, I guess, inspiring people without having to make it a commercial gig or anything like that. Because voguing is raw, and mm. it's all about expression, and most places don't even, I mean, can't, I guess, allow us in that sense, because it's too queer, so we go ham on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> truly, catch us every Wednesday at Federation Square. Yeah, truly. <laughs> um, and what, uh, Crystal and Jada, what have your experiences been of being a part of House of Divine? Uh, for me personally, it's been about finding a place of belonging and kind of having a new family um, because previously, you know, just going on this journey, it's it's been really nice to find 
the same people with like like who have the same like mentality as you um not through just like dance but also just as people too <coughs> so it's a, it's like beyond what you just see um because voguing obviously on the surface level looks very it's just like <coughs> really intense um and there's a lot of like drama but at the end of the day it's all just it's all just family. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I definitely feel the same way with Crystal. Mm. Um, like, you know, it's just been, like, really amazing to just find people that can understand you and we all come together on something that we're all happy to do and that we love doing. So it's really great to just be with like-minded people who enjoy doing, like, the same things as you do and that are so acceptive, especially within, like, the whole community as well, like, not just House of Divine. But it's just been really amazing, and I'm just so glad I'm a part of it, a part of this movement, a part to be, you know, the first house here in Melbourne and help Melbourneers realise what voguing is and bringing it in to Melbourne. And it's just been amazing and a great experience, and I'm here for it. Mm. Can I just quickly ask Shada, what is it like for you as a trans woman? Um, I think, like, as a trans woman, it's different, but... Only because, like, in the ballroom scene, trans women obviously do have um, high standard. Like, we have, like, a bar that needs to be set for all, like, you know, mainly above, like, the rest because it is such a feminine thing that we seem to, like, compete a lot. So sometimes it does get very, like, stressful and competitive against your sisters and it does really, you know, hurt mentally sometimes, but... Most of the time, it's all love, and it's all just sisterly love, and at the end of the day, like I said, you know, we're all just one big community, and like Crystal said, there's always drama, but we still always just, like, come <laughs> together and just love one another, because we're the only people we have, we're just one big family, so. Hmm. And Carlos, what does voguing mean to you? Voguing, uh, it's definitely all about self-expression. Voguing is that outlet that you, you know, I grew up always dancing and finding a style that is all about freestyle, all about self-expression, your own way, you know, um, obviously with voguing comes your own, the rules, the um, the elements, the foundations, but as long as you have those and you use your own sort of expression, then it just works. And to me, it's just a great sort of output outlet. Mm. And Kiki, um, did you ever envision like, how did you envision um, House of Divine? And did you think that it would grow as much as it has? Well, did I envision it? <laughs> no. Um, just because I was the only, like, one of the only few people that vogued in Melbourne. And I had to find my house sleigh in Sydney in order to be a part of the community. And I really did not expect to have Divine at all. But I knew I had a responsibility having to be in the scene to create it here because queers need ballroom. A lot of people do. Um, So I took it into my own self to create it and find these people. And the good thing is they weren't hard to find. (laughs) People that want to be in ballroom make themselves known, which is really good because it's like to me, ballroom is a need, not just the want. It's a need for you to express yourself. So I found them like really, really easily. And because I mean, I've I've seen you jump up on stage over the past couple of years, Kiki, quite oh often. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so exciting that House of Divine is now around. And also, cause on the show, we've chatted with Benjira, mother of House mm-hmm. of Slay, um, a couple of times before. Oh. And so I want to ask, like, are there 
particular sort of like a local flavour to House of Divine, you know, like how, and how do the houses across different cities sort of support each other or interact with each other? I think because our community is quite small, you know, we we use we have New Zealand and we have Australia and we have probably like eight houses altogether, yeah. roughly. So because we're such a small community, we stick together and we just, you know, we still compete, you know, the drama's still there, but it's literally one big happy family that um, have the same purpose just to keep living our best queer selves, you know. And we do all have our own flavour, um, but I guess not too far away from our predecessors. Like, we, we're also inspired by the icons and legends in New York and also in Europe, so we still have that, I guess, voguing essence, but somehow in our own way. It, Melbourne just has its own flavour, mm. like compared to Sydney and Brisbane. But all the houses <laughs> are quite small as well, so it's it's not hard to kind of find people or find <coughs> each other. And maybe, just because we are heading towards the end of the show, um, you're all performing at an event tomorrow night, is that right? Yes, we are. Um, It's at the Immigration Museum. It's called Rainbow Effect. We'll be performing with Rainbow Chan and a couple of amazing artists. So come through. You can buy your tickets online. (laughs) (laughs) So it's from 5.30. Yeah, what? Did you rehearse that? Location. Um, and just we have a couple of minutes. Oh yeah, we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, what else is sort of coming up or on the horizon that you're excited about? More balls. Yeah. <laughs> our, our first big ball. Yeah. So we had our ball last year in November, and that was a small kiki ball. But we're aiming for a much bigger ball this year, which we're trying to get funding for. Um, and also just really keen to connect with New Zealand a lot more and travel there and walk the balls there and get some trophies mm-hmm. for Melbourne. And Australia also. Mm. Australian balls as well. Because I feel like that's how we really connect is like at the balls. Like that's when we key like you know that's when we're like all together and then just like in that moment it's just like shit there's like a whole lot of queerness here and it's just like amazing. It's just such amazing energy to be around. It's yeah. just our own world. Yeah literally. With our own systems yeah. so it's like the only place where we can really I guess thrive And like 100%. be like our true authentic self. Yeah, the next uh, big one is in Sydney, which is... Yeah, Sissy Sissy Ball. 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 Come on, second plug. (laughs) 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 The 23rd. (laughs) 22nd. (laughs) And also, am I right, if people want to get sort of a a bit of a taste of what you do, there's that little um, video clip that you made in collab with Sissy Films Online as well, which is a pretty good um, indication of, I guess, the power of a lot of the stuff that you Mm. do. Yeah. Well, th- that was just, like, our promo video for our ball that we did. But, um... There's definitely more talent, you know, yeah. from that video. Yeah. That's literally. only a snippet. Yeah, that was <laughs> literally just a snippet. Like, you can see more at House of Divine on Performances Instagram. Or, <laughs> or at Fed Square. Yeah, <laughs> or at Federation Square. And I actually wanted to talk about Fed Square, because, Carlos, you talked about that before, and performing in the streets. And, you know, <laughs> this morning you've been talking all about creating your own spaces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell so me what it means to, yeah, be so in the streets. So we just needed a place to train, and uh, we literally trained on the stage during winter, and we mm. just 
we're ourselves. People will always, you know, walk past and just, like, stare at us and just, like, you know, clap on and just, like, encourage yeah. us. It's just, like, like, we're always creating a great atmosphere mm. while we're doing that. And I yeah. feel like creating sort of, it's like sort of leaving our mark in Melbourne, like, you know, mm-hmm. Federation Square is, like, where we sort of bring that out every Wednesday. We, we always have an audience. Like, wherever we train, there's always, like, <laughs> someone, like, standing there with, like, a camera, whether it's, like, a yeah. tourist or, like, a group of people, you know, someone's always there. And then as we finish, they're like, yeah! <laughs> you know, just like, oh, that was just a soft run through. But thank you. <laughs> like it's a really good way to find other people as well that are interested in ballroom. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. another way to think about it is it's kind of political in a sense because we are literally just being ourselves mm-hmm. in the streets, no matter who's watching. So we're just like, here we are. Take us. There that. I do find with like a lot of dance, freestyle dance communities, um, because the spaces can be a little bit expensive to access, it just you end up using public space. So quite often you'll find just like plotted around Melbourne different dance styles. Mm-hmm. So um, Fed Square's ours. Shut. Period. Oh, and unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap it up there. But thank you so much to Carlos, uh, Kiki, Jada and Crystal from House of Divine for joining us this morning. Thank, thank you, you for so much. And yes, that's the end of the show um, this morning on the 30th of January. Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. So this morning we heard from Shana Bremner from the um, End Rape on Campus Australia um, and... Also, Laniuk, um, so talking about uh, the Archer launch on Saturday, we spoke with Sasha and Rebecca Loveday from the Trans Sisters United. Definitely check them out on um, social media, so Facebook and Instagram, and donate so they can get up to the Tiwi Islands next week. And then just then we heard from a team of people from House of Divine. And that's all. Thanks. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop. Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events.